0: As we've began into Exodus 15, we've seen how there was a point where after the sons of Israel were delivered, and they all sang together this song with Moses to Yahweh, that he was their strength, he is their song, he's become their salvation, and very quickly after that, the the Lord tested their hearts by not only taking them through the water of the Red Sea, but to the water of the place that they would name it Bitter, which was a descriptor of what the water tasted like. And very quickly the, the people were given to grumbling even after they had seen You, know, We say they had seen such glorious acts, but they didn't really see them. You get what I'm saying they they were blind to the realities of what God really did for them in the plagues and at the Red Sea you know, they didn't believe they weren't listening to God's word and what God called good they were calling evil you know they they thought it would be better if he would have killed them in Egypt and you know rescue their lives and have delivered them from their enemies. And when we looked at that little paragraph in verses 22 to 26, we saw there that the Lord starts to lay out the, the nature of the law. Which, what, what the law does is that it instructs, you know, it, it instructs that you need a mediator. It instructs to, there's a means of salvation. In this case, it was Moses, the mediator, was shown a tree that when it was thrown into the water would provide living water for a people. And this book of Exodus is, I've often reminded you, it's the book that's about God's name. It's the revelation of, God's name and his salvation and and building out God's name, who he is. And at the end of verse 26, he says, I Yahweh am your healer, which this is something that the teaching on that began with, something that the Lord taught to Moses when he took his hand that was well, and you know, he, he places it you know, within his robe, and he takes it out, and it's leprous, puts it back in, and it's healed. And say, so, you know, that's the kind of power that God has, not only to bring the affliction, but also to heal, and he's the God of both of those things, which, you know, a lot of times we like to think of God as, well, he's, he's the healer, but he's not the afflictor, but throughout Exodus, he's showing he's the one who ordains the affliction as much as uh, the healing or the wounding and the healing as it's put in Isaiah. And he's the one who has ordained this testing of the sons of Israel, but he's also ordained what he wants to accomplish through it. He doesn't want to just teach them something about their hearts then. He's also teaching the nations because (laughs) we're uh, Israel's out in the wilderness yeah, everybody else is out in the hills and they can look and see what's going on with these people and you know, when it gets to you know, the tabernacle worship and how things are set up and torn down and how they split off in their groups all of it was meant to be a, a gospel witness to show all the other nations what was primary to, to Israel but For now, you know, what you see is there's that pillar of fire and cloud that moves, which draws a lot of attention. I mean, you guys know when you see a pillar of cloud, you know, out toward Forest Hill or somewhere, you know, everybody's like, what's going on over there? But in this case, you don't, there's no trees in the way to see what's going on. You can just see this massive people out in the wilderness And this is, you know, one of the other purposes within Exodus is when God, as God is revealing his name, he's revealing it not only to Moses, not only to the sons of Israel, and not only to Egypt, but to all the nations. Now, this book is about God evangelizing the world and and laying out the pattern of how his salvation works. So as we study this book, we're we're really studying the book that that lays out the foundation of the doctrine of God and salvation in Scripture. I think as we continue to study it, you'll see that more and more when you're you're reading your New Testament. You're like, oh, that, you know, Peter, Paul, Luke, they got that from Exodus. (laughs) And as we've moved through this text, which is about evangelizing and discipling the nations, it's it's having that same effect on us. We're, I mean, we're being discipled in uh, who God is and how he works in the world, and in particular here, we're seeing that, you know, God is the one who provides the trials in life that we have, but he also provides the provision of his word that we need to hear through it, which is what is being pointed to by his law instruction in this section. It's a, you know, His word pointed to a tree. His word pointed uh, to water. It pointed to the manna or the bread from heaven. It, it's going to also point to uh, the meat. Well, we looked at that. We looked at that last week, which was you know, that meat being a reminder of the meaning of passover so you know ultimately the the healing that you need is the passover healing that that god has promised and you know, the the bread and the meat is to remind you of these things and god is building in all of these reminders that he's creator in ways to meditate on how his salvation works through creation through these very ordinary things involving eating and drinking, that all things would be done to his glory. And so we had talked about the, the nature of the law, that it's primarily a, an instructor. It's not a, a means of salvation, but it instructs us that we need to be saved by someone and that we can't save ourselves. And we're also seeing that God in providing the manna and the such, that he's a gracious God, and he's the kind of God that these kind of people need. They're they're a grumbling people, but the way that he's going to, to heal them is by his grace, which is why one of my title options for this message was God heals grumbling with glory. That's how it works. He he doesn't heal their grumbling with, well, here's the law. Here's what I told you to do. Uh, That's not gonna change their hearts. But the way that he does it is, this is uh, verse seven in chapter 16, 16, 7. He talks about man, he says, in the morning you will see the glory of Yahweh. This is the first time that that phrase is used in scripture. He says, in the morning, you will see the glory of Yahweh. That's the thing that's going to change you. The law instruction isn't going to change you. It's the glory of Yahweh that will change you. But your eyes have to be open to see it. He He hears your grumblings against Yahweh. And this is, you know, Moses and Aaron here. Yeah, Yahweh hears their grumbling. He said, "What are we that you grumble against us?" Because these sons of Israel were just seeing it on the horizontal level of, well, it's just these two guys that's doing this to us, and Moses and Aaron, you know, as they're they're growing as disciples of the Lord, they're recognizing this isn't about us. God graciously chose to give us this position to to lead you, but your grumbling isn't against us. Uh, we didn't part the Red Sea, we didn't bring you out here. Uh, We're just the messengers, you know. Uh, know, we, We didn't write the mail, we're just delivering it here. And when it comes to Yahweh providing meat for these people, in verse 12, he says, you know, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them saying at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread so that you shall know that I am Yahweh your God. It's like, well, what's what's the point of the, the bread and the meat? So that you shall know that I am Yahweh your God, which is, this is a phrase that we've been hearing throughout the whole book of, of Exodus. So, you know, why did all this stuff happen in Egypt? Why did all these plagues happen? So that people would know that uh, he is Yahweh, the only God, that there isn't another. Well, graciously, the Lord has provided meat, and we left off in verse 12 right there, and we're going to pick up in 13, so if you want to join me in 1613, I'll start reading right there. So it happened at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. Then the layer of dew evaporated, and behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And the sons of Israel saw it and said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so. Some gathered much and some little, and they measured it with an omer, and he who gathered had, and he who gathered much had no excess. And he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. And Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But the sun would grow hot, and it would melt. Well, when God, after he had provided the quail, he had provided the the manna, which this manna translated is, what is it? (laughs) That's that's what it means. Uh, And Moses gives them the answer. They say, manna, what is it? And Moses says, it is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. So he's recognizing you know, what's being taught here is Yahweh's is your provider. Like you needed this and he provided it for you. you know, Moses isn't isn't the one who did this. Because you remember when they came and they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron about wa- water, bread, meat, these things. Yeah, you know, Moses is re-emphasizing once again, Yahweh has given this to you. I didn't do this. Aaron didn't do this. There's not some golden calf in the background doing this for you. You know, Pharaoh didn't ship this stuff over here. Uh, Yahweh is the one who has done this. It's significant that we note here that Moses becomes angry as when, for example, when the rock destroys the rock. Uh how those how those two things uh, are related, those those uh the anger is expressed in different ways. So in this case, Moses, he, you know, he's angry with them, but he doesn't, you know, mess up the picture of the Messiah rock you know, like he does. And the next thing when the, the Lord says, you know, speak to the rock, not strike it twice. Yeah. and but And that's when, you know, Moses buckles under the temptation. He says, you, know, you want water? I'll give it to you. Rather than Yahweh is going to give you water, I'm just going to speak to the rock. So in that, in this case, you know uh, Moses isn't angry and then a glory hog. You know, so that's how the, those two events are separate. Okay. And God graciously, you know, provides for these sons of Israel these kids in the wilderness he's like you want some food i'll give you candy to eat every day <laughs> and it seems like a good deal right yeah. and 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 he could have just it struck them dead i mean i give you, you can't it, it can't be different than it was you know everything has to work according to the counsel of his will but god just graciously provided for these grumbling people it wasn't that they Deserved it, and he gave them enough so that they had no lack. They had no reason to be un- ungrateful. They didn't have any reason to ask for anything more. They had every reason to be grateful and every reason to be content with what God has given them. And one of the lessons that's that's taught here in in the gathering is for them to you know, gather it without greed. You know, just because you can gather more than others, you know, you have a bigger Omer sack to pack stuff into. He says, well, if you can gather more than others, then it's so that you can share with others. It's the concept that's starting to be built out. And what's interesting is how Paul ties into this in 2 Corinthians Chapter eight, in Second Second Corinthians, chapter eight, Paul says, "For this is not for the relief of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality." So he's talking about you know one one church sending a financial gift to another one, and he says, "This is not for the relief of others or for your affliction, but by way of equality at this present time." your abundance being a supply for their needs so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that there may be equality, as it is written. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. So here I read and saw how Paul reasoned from this text, which is a thing to reason from it, but it also gives us a clue on how do you read a text like this? (laughs) Uh, You learn from, there's a reason why God set it up to where there were some who who gathered much and some who couldn't gather much, but neither of them had any lack because the one who had an abundance was able to give to the, the one who had lack. And so you see the way that Paul instructed the Corinthians in this example was, he looked back at the law and the law instruction. So this is the kind of instruction God has given us. Just like what he did then, it still applies today and with your money. Uh, if you have an abundance and somebody else has lack, then you can share your abundance with them for the sake of kingdom ministry. But they were not only to, to gather without greed they were also to gather without fear. You know, they were to, to trust that God provides. They didn't need to, to gather up for, for Saturday and Sunday. You know, the Sabbath was on Saturday. They didn't have to gather for three days or four days thinking, well, what if something happens? What if something goes wrong? We don't have enough food for them. So They were together without fear. They were to trust, you know, God provides. And he, not only provides he actually controls everything in creation. Uh, he can make sure that it's only on the seventh day that we're not uh, gathering and give us what we need the day before and that we don't have to try to manipulate things. We don't have to try to control things. We can trust that God is good and that he'll provide. And God graciously gives his instruction through his prophet Moses verse 19, he says, let no man leave any of it until morning. Now this instruction would not be a means of salvation, but it would rather expose the need for it. Because what you see is this instruction, it it tested the hearts of the sons of of Israel. And what we find in in the the test results is, but they did not listen. They didn't believe. They didn't listen. They, They had no interest in entering to God's rest by God's command. They only wanted the food which perishes rather than the bread of life, which this is exactly when Jesus is out in the wilderness preaching and talking about himself as the bread of life. He, he says the, you know, the same thing to Jews many, many generations later. Says, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. And he goes on to say, Well, th- therefore they said to him, what, what should we do so that we may work the works of God? So is is Sabbath about is the Sabbath about you doing the works of God? Or I should say for them. You know, was the Sabbath about them doing the works of God? Was, it, was the Sabbath, oh, yeah, God, God has some work that he needs done, and we've got to do it for him. Yeah, that's not, that's not how it works. So Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. It's not your work, it's his work. That you believe in him whom he has sent. He's, and they did not listen. <laughs> Yeah, we, I think it's helpful to remember in evangelizing people, a, a lot of times I think we can be deceived into thinking that it's an intellectual problem rather than a moral spiritual problem. And I say, well, they just don't get it. They're just not, maybe I could help them reason this better. Well, the, the reasoning's not the problem it, you're talking to a blind person and it's like you're trying to say hey blind guy look at that sunset over there it's amazing it's like what are you talking about or you're trying to explain the beauty of a the the symphony to a deaf guy you know that they, they they it can't be seen it, it it can't be heard but we think wow maybe there's some sort of like silver bullet statement I can give them and you know they'll see the sharpness of my reasoning and they'll become a Christian. So, well, uh, well, no, salvation also isn't of your works in somebody else's life. It it's the work of God, and that's a that's a comforting reminder because you recognize you know it doesn't it doesn't rest on my apologetic ability for somebody else to be it doesn't uh, rest on my ability to evangelize a certain way and turn a phrase a certain way or to put things in a certain order. Or like, oh, let's think through that God-man-Christ-sinners outline and I, I forgot a part of it and I did some of it out of order. Maybe if I would have got it in order, then they would have became a Christian. This is a paradox, isn't it? Because even the ability to believe is a gift of God. Right. right. It's, and it's the work of god alone you know he didn't uh recruit witnesses so that he could accomplish that you know he he made us witnesses and uses us as a mean for him to do that work alone but he he uses god uses stuff to do things right but sometimes I'm like well you know if god is so powerful then you know why? Yeah, people get all philosophically worked up in this sort of stuff. Then it's like, well, then why evangelize if you know God's going to do what He's going to do anyways? Well, it's like, well, the way He's going to do it is through you. All you need to know is that He told you to go say these things to somebody. That's all you need to know. You don't need to sit around in, in the corner and contemplate how it all works. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because otherwise you will just become like really super weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Useless because you you won't be doing the thing that you should be doing and, and making him known. They'll be trying to figure out uh, uh, mysteries of things that, you know, uh, only the Trinity knows. And if he wants to tell us sometime in the future, uh, he can. But the things that are revealed to us and belong to us, we just want to be faithful to him. We know enough about God to know that we can trust him, and we just need to, to do that. Picking up in chapter 16 and verse 22, this paragraph 22 to 26, we see the Sabbath command. It says, now it happened that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread Two omers for each one, and all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said to them, This is what Yahweh has spoken. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is in excess put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had commanded, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. And Moses said, Eat it today. For today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. One of the things that you see here in this Sabbath command, well, one, you will see, the Lord is providing everything that's necessary for it. So he, he's performing everything that he's requiring of them. You know, he's, there isn't any, like he doesn't say, well, go do this but you know, and figure it out yourselves. <laughs> but he gives them everything that they need, and he says the, the purpose of this is an observance. This is a remembrance sort of thing. This is a memorial for future generations, and it's an observance that's focused on God's work. It's not about your work. It's not about you picking up the manna off the ground. Like God just accidentally dropped a bunch of manna and he needs you to clean it up for him. But it's, a, it, it's focused on God has given us this. Like we needed food and he gave it to us. This is a reminder that we rely on God for provision and we need these kind of reminders. You now this is, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, we make a practice of praying before every meal, to be an observance that God has provided us food. And a lot, a lot of times we talk about it, but, you know, let's ask you know, a, a blessing on the food, like McDonald's will turn healthy somehow. <laughs> but it doesn't. But no, that's a miracle. But... The blessing is that there is food. You know, the, the idea of blessing is that you know, God, God has blessed us with the food and he's blessed us with the power to eat it. That's the idea of blessing. Blessing is you know, it's, it's enablement to do something. You know, God has, when He's blessed us with food and blessed us with the ability to eat it, he says, it's that whole concept of loving the Lord your God with all your, your, your heart, your soul, and your might. You know, the food is that stuff that surrounds you, it's your might, but he's also given you the, the power to, to have it and to partake of it. So we're just to, to be grateful, is, is, is a, instead of you know, Lord bless this food. It's like the food is the blessing. Is <laughs> it, like, Lord, make Cheetos healthy? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a, that's in another world. Yeah. And this this observant, it, it's it's a rest unto Yahweh, which the point you remember the original seventh day Sabbath was, it wasn't that God got tired and took a nap. You know, the the word rest equals enjoyment. And when God rested from his work, what he was doing was enjoying who he was in Trinitarian fellowship and what he had done in creation. And... To enter into his rest is to enter into enjoying who he is and what he does. And the Sabbath observant, observance was to be a, a reminder of that. And a reminder that man doesn't need to do any work to enter into that. The work has already been done. Everything that's necessary to enter into God's rest is provided by God alone. He's not looking around for somebody else to provide some of the missing pieces. You know, like our, our home fellowship group tonight, you know, some people will bring soup, some people will bring salad and, and bread. You know, God doesn't need you to bring anything to you know His His Sabbath observance. He's not saying, "Well, you know, I'll provide the soup if you guys will bring you know a loaf of bread and some salad." Because I just don't have that available. And he's the God of creation. He has all things. I mean. He is the provider. And this Sabbath command, we also read that it's holy. And that's what everything is supposed to be in creation. Everything's to be set apart to God. Everything is to belong to him. And the purpose of God's image bearers is not only to work and and labor. Certainly there is work to be done, but the primary work that's to be done is resting in him, trusting in him. But part of the apparent paradox of that is that that's God's work. He does that. He's the one who brings about that that trusting and believing. He's the one who is giving the strength to work out what he has worked in, as it talks about in Philippians. It says, work out your salvation, Because God is at work. It's like, well, why why are you working? Because God is at work. So, like, who gets the credit for this thing when it's done? It's like, well, it's because God is at work. Uh, You would not be breathing if it was not for God. You wouldn't have to have life if it was not for God. You wouldn't have salvation or the ability to serve anybody or do anything if it wasn't for God. And the ultimate goal of life ultimately is this. It's, it's rest. That's the goal of all creation, to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. And it, it is the inevitable end of everything. Uh, it's, not, it's not a like, maybe it'll happen goal or, well, if you guys can just kick the ball the rest of the way, then we'll eventually make it sort of thing. But guys, it, it, it's it's going to go there. Just like I, pro- I promised to Noah and all of creation, everything has to stay on the railroad of rest and everything in history has to, to go to its destination and the train stops and God's rest and glory. Now picking up in verse 27, we're going to see the Sabbath need and the Sabbath gift. Now it happened on the the seventh day that some of the people went out together, but they found none. Then Yahweh said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, Yahweh has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now you you see the need for Sabbath rest because you see these people, they just refuse to keep his commandments. So, you know, uh, you know, don't go gather. Right. Well, let's go do that, anyways. <laughs> it's like they just won't listen. Yeah, you know, this this reminds me of a you know a parent saying to their child, you know, you need to go to bed and get some rest. Child says, but I don't want to. I'm not tired. How long will you refuse to do what I told you to do? <laughs> yeah, you know, c- come here and let's pray that God would give you a heart to listen to what is good for you. <laughs> yeah. And those were both of the those were both the responses. Some was like, "Go gather," and some of them were like, "I don't want to. I'm too tired." And others, it's like, but then when it comes to don't gather, then they're like, okay, maybe we will then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, what, what you're seeing is that you know, they failed to trust that Yahweh is good. They're saying, you know, his instruction isn't good. His instructions on gathering and not gathering, I don't like them. You know, I'm going to do what I think is right in my own eyes. I'm going to see good, I'm going to do good as I see it, not as I'm instructed. Even given this, the, the gift of the Sabbath, you see that it says, Yahweh has given you the Sabbath. It doesn't say the Sabbath is for Yahweh. Uh, the Lord has always been in the Sabbath. And on the seventh day, one of the things we've noted in Genesis is that there is no evening or morning on it. The point being that it's an eternal day. God has always existed in the day of enjoying who he is and what he does. And it's a day that, he never leaves it, but we have left that day. Humanity has left that day and needs to enter back into it. It says, Yahweh has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. It says, not only have I given you this day for observance, but I've also given you everything that you need for it to prepare for it on the sixth day. You get ready on Friday for Saturday says, remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So Yahweh gives the Sabbath as a gift for a man. It's not as something for a man to give to God as if he needed anything. And that's you know, one of the confusions that we want to, to be careful of in our own lives. You know, We never serve the Lord thinking that, uh, well, I have to do this for him because he, he needs this. But instead it's you know I need this, and this is an opportunity for me just to enjoy who he is, you know whatever service it is unto the Lord. It's not because he has need, but it's a way for you to enjoy that relationship with him. you remember it was Pharaoh who wouldn't let these people rest, and he needed things done for him constantly, but God is different in that He gives rest and He doesn't have any need. Man needs God's rest, though He could never earn it. It's not like you can get God to hire you and you can earn a paycheck of eternal rest somehow. If you work for Him for 40 years, you will have earned an eternal retirement. No, you you could never uh, store that up. You could never earn that, just given the the high value of it being eternal. Man needs to enter this day by God's work and to remain in it by God's work. A man can't work himself into it. He can't preserve himself in it. It's all something that God does by himself. And this Sabbath is also a reminder of God's faithful love. Let me see that in this last paragraph, 31 through 36. I'll read that. Exodus 16, 31. And the house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white and its taste was like wafers with honey. Then Moses said, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it and place it before Yahweh to be kept through your generations as Yahweh commanded Moses. So Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. The manna was given here as a a generational reminder of God's provision. It was a way to say, similar to what's taught to us in the Lord's Supper when we take the bread together, it's to remember that God provided the salvation that you needed. Bread in the wilderness being brought up out of Egypt, but it's a reminder of who God is. He's the God who provides. He's the God who provides what is needed for his redeemed people so that they can be about the business of seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first. So you see, they didn't need to be seeking uh, bread. They didn't need to be seeking clothing. You know, we'll find out later that their clothes never wore out. Uh, God provided them everything that they needed so that they could be about his kingdom and his righteousness, which is true for us today. God's provided for us everything we need concerning food and clothing. And the purpose is so that we can be about seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first rather than more food and clothing. This is a testimony of God's faithful love for an unfaithful people. It's a testimony of grace for grumblers. It's an echo of what God did for Moses in his 40 years in Midian when the Lord came to him and said, come, follow me, and I will make you a shepherd of men. If God can provide for Moses for 40 years in the wilderness, he can provide for Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. And you can trust God for his good provision today even on a day that has enough troubles of its own. And it's easy to get focused on all the troubles and to get distracted from God's kingdom and to think, well, how am I going to provide this? How am I going to accomplish this? You know, I have a running list in, in my mind that is normally like a to-do list since I've moved and I've moved into a really old house and there's a ton of things to do, it's like every time I open a door, I'm like, "There's no door in this house that shuts." <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it's because the foundation is slanted like this, and the, the doors are ajar. And so, like, well, yeah, you know, there's always you know some some other thing, but you know, instead of it being like a to-do list in my mind, it's your heavenly Father knows list. Right? He knows, he knows what what the deal is with my doors. <laughs> And, you know, he, he knows to provide, you know, all my need. And he has, you know, wonderfully, there are all sorts of people helping with all sorts of things. But, like, I, you know, it's real easy. I, I remember this time, like, walking around when, I, you know, it's late at night, and I just feel really anxious. I'm, and I'm pacing on the floor, and I'm like, what's the deal? I'm like, I can't sit anywhere. There's nowhere to sit. <laughs> like, <laughs> why do I feel like this? So like, well, because normally I could sit down, but I can't sit down today. What am I going to (laughs) do? Well, I guess I'll just go to bed. (laughs) But, you know, there's times like that, you know, just being creatures of of habit. And it wasn't because, you know, God had given me the, you know, the short end of the straw on that day and that moment. But you know, just a you know what, what I trust God, even though I couldn't sit anywhere in my living room, just something small like that and say, you know lord i I do have things to sit on there're just there's other stuff on it right now, but it's it's not that like I can't I can lay down, have somewhere to lay down, I'll do that <laughs> but you know the the Lord provides and there's little things that he'll use in our lives to to test us and Right. You know The day has enough troubles of its own. You know, God's given you everything that you need. You can trust him in every moment. Uh, he, he knows your, your needs before you even ask. And he often provides them even though you don't ask. But we want to remember to be thankful when we recognize those things. And if God can turn a, a grumbling Moses into a grateful Moses, by the sight of his glory, he can do the same for Israel. He can do the same for us. But the way that it happens isn't, well, I'm going to make myself grateful. I'm going to make a thank you list, and then that's going to change my heart. Like, well, that, that, that could be a good step, perhaps, but it's only seeing the glory of God who has actually provided for you everything that you need. Uh, what you need to, to see is not you know, coming up with some rule for yourself to follow, but God's glory. And that he's a he's a provider. Like you have everything that you're that, that you need. Like you're okay, even though it's different than it might be on other days. Uh, God has provided for you, and you can you can trust him. And it's ultimately the sight of him that changes you. We can look to him to be healed of all our hearts grumbling. but you can see that built into this one. He says, yeah, yeah. I am Yahweh, your healer. Well, how am I going to heal you? Well, I want you to to put this stuff in a jar (laughs) to remind you that I, Yahweh, am your healer. I'm the one who changes these things in your heart. But what you need to see about your your heart, and when you remember this, you'll remember, oh yeah, Grandpa grumbled about these things, but he shouldn't have, and we shouldn't be evil in that way, but we should rather be grateful that God has provided us these things and that, like, we're still alive. So, you know, the, the Egyptians blasphemed God and he killed them. They're all gone. We blasphemed God and we're still alive. You know, the whole event with Israel and Egypt and the plagues, it wasn't, you know, good guys versus bad guys. It was just punished, good, punished bad guys and rescued bad guys. Well, as you know, healing takes time. And sometimes you have to go through some tests to refine the healing process. And the best medicine is a combination of truth, grace, and the faithful love of God. It's a family recipe that's been handed down throughout the ages. And if you've ever canned something, you know that canning things takes time. But when it's all said and done, they're preserved to be enjoyed in the future by others. And as a conclusion to this lesson, uh, this is something that some guy named James Smith wrote in 1857 called Bread from Heaven, which is about the complaining Christian. And I'll close with reading this. Standing in my window one day while the cholera was raging in London, I saw two corpses carried by, followed by one little child walking alone next to the coffins with a few neighbors behind. That child was now an orphan. Both parents had been carried off by the pestilence. The sight of that child produced deep emotions and awakened painful sympathy in my heart. I was led to think of the sorrows and privations of Orphanhood, and then of the happiness of the Lord's people to whom Jesus has said, I will never leave you as orphans. A believer can never be an orphan. He has an ever-living, ever-loving, ever-present father. But many of the Lord's people do not realize this. Therefore, they do not live and act under its influence. There are believers who are always complaining of their circumstances. They are worked too hard. They are tried more than others. They have such a vexing family. They have such a demanding job. They have such financial losses. They have no end of things to vex, harass, or distress them. Complaining Christian, do you have a father? If so, had your father anything to do with fixing your lot? Did he place you where you are? Is he wise? Is he good? Has he ever told you that all things shall work together for your good? Does he know what is best for you? Has he left things to chance? Or has he arranged all in his own infinite mind? And does he work all by his unerring providence? If he does, then are you justified in your complaining? Have you any real cause to complain? Will it better your circumstances? Will it please your father? Will it in any way help you? Let's close in prayer. Our gracious Lord, you are a gracious provider of all of our needs, often providing them before we ask or before we even realize what it is that we truly needed. And the thing that we especially needed was Jesus Christ to be a mediator between us, to be the God-man who would mediate your righteousness to us, but also to satisfy your just wrath against us and, taking away our sin, and to be the victorious one over the death that we deserve, the resurrected one who would raise us to new life in you, that we would no longer be slaves to grumbling, but rather slaves to gratefulness to you forever and ever. We pray that you help us to wisely consider our circumstances and to be slow to speak and quick to listen to your word and your wisdom concerning these things, we pray that you would protect us from the temptation of grumbling words, that you would protect us from the evil one for the sake of giving you the testimony that you deserve, that you are the bread from heaven that focuses on our need to live constantly by your word and not by the things that we think that we need to accomplish or to do, but to rest in the work that you have done and you are doing and will complete in us and through us and in all creation. Amen.